Happy Wednesday, everybody. It is Megan with the VBAC link, and we have another VBAC story for you today. We actually, our storyteller today is on on a road trip. So we're going to have maybe some kiddos along the way, maybe my dog, because my dog likes to bark too. So it's going to be a fun one. We're going to bring everyone along with this birth story today. And we are going to be talking about a lot, you guys. She has so many things that really are relevant in her story. She has infertility, IVF, premature birth, miscarriage, cerclage, actually was abandoned by a doula. So we're going to talk about that. Induction and postpartum hemorrhage. So it's heavy. We've got a lot of yummy things to go into. So I won't take up too much time so we can definitely get into her story, but I want to do a review of the week and then we'll jump right in. Today's review is by Amelyn Cider. Oh, Amy Lynn, Amy Lynn. I typed it wrong. Amy Lynn Cider. And this is on Apple Podcasts. And she says, I really can't express how informative and empowering this podcast has been for me following my traumatic birth in 2019. In the 16 weeks I've been pregnant and a listener, I feel deeply strengthened by the stories of women from across the globe and more informed thanks to the education provided by Megan and Julie. I look forward to my VBAC in October, knowing I will be fueled by the women in this community. So very grateful. And that was in April. So she's coming right up on this VBAC. It's August right now um, as this time that we're recording. So this is going to be fun. So Amy Lynn, if you wouldn't mind, write us in and let us know how things went. You are tuned into the VBAC Link podcast with Megan Heaton, who is a longtime doula and VBAC mom herself, here to help you get inspired for birth after having had a C-section. Along with this podcast, the VBAC Link offers blogs, resources, and a comprehensive VBAC course for both parents preparing for birth and doulas wanting to take their VBAC education to the next level. Be sure to follow Megan and her team on all social media platforms for even more. Although these podcast episodes are VBAC specific, it is encouraged for all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a C-section from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here is your host, Megan. Okay. Are you excited? I am so excited. So I, Kate, is it Kayana? Is that how you say your name? So it's Kayana. Kayana. Okay. Yes. Kayana. I've been it's calling you Kayana in my mind. No, you're good. It's a hard <laughs> one. Even my husband said it wrong for the first, like, three months of dating. So don't feel bad. I can see it, Kayanna. Okay. And she's in Idaho. So we are excited to hear her journey with her cute babies. If you haven't seen her image, it's on Instagram and Facebook. You guys, this family is beautiful. So go give her some love today on the post or go find it. But okay, we'll turn the time over to you and share whatever you feel is going to be wonderful for these listeners. Okay, well, so I guess we'll just start from the beginning. So before we ever got pregnant with our little girl, who is our first, we struggled with infertility for about four years. We don't really know the cause of it. I have been diagnosed with PCOS, and so the doctors have said that that's the reason 
for the infertility, but there were years um, within that trying phase where I was on different medications and things to induce ovulation. And that ovulation was confirmed and that was for months and months at a time and I still didn't get pregnant. So I don't know if there's maybe more to it than just the PCOS or what we don't really know. It's kind of a question mark up in the air. That's the Um, hardest thing when it's a mystery like that. Yeah, it is because it it's just frustrating and infertility is so hard. It's excruciating. It's, you know, but yeah, so we struggled for about four years with that. We tried, uh, like I said, a bunch of rounds of medication. We tried, oh gosh, I think we did four or five IUIs and eventually we moved on and um, went ahead with IVF. So we, we did an IVF round And we were so, so blessed that it worked on the first try, which I know not everyone has that situation. And I feel for that. And it's so hard. And so we we were able to have it work the first time and we got pregnant with our sweet little baby girl. So the pregnancy with her went pretty smoothly. I was very, very, very sick, like throwing up. 15 times a day, every day. Oh, um, yeah. From that does not sound five, pleasant. No, it was awful. From week five until probably week like 28, like it was just never ending. But other than that, it was a pretty uneventful pregnancy. So she was due in August of 2018. So the doctor I was seeing with her at the beginning of my pregnancy, we love him so much. He's here in Idaho and um, he was with us. He was kind of with us through all of our infertility stuff. He helped us through a lot of that. He did some of our IUIs and stuff. Um, he obviously had to hand me off to an infertility doctor for IVF, but he was with us through everything before that. And he actually, he and his wife experienced infertility as well. So he kind of just really was there for us and understood a lot of it yeah and then Mm -hmm. so when we went to him for our first pregnancy appointment after doing IVF he just sat in the room and cried with us and he just it was just so sweet we just love him to pieces so we planned on him being our doctor through delivery with our baby girl but plans changed and um, out of nowhere, around 27 weeks, I think I was 27 weeks, we ended up moving out of state super last minute. It was very unexpected and we ended up leaving Idaho and oh. moving to Washington. So obviously I was devastated to leave my doctor who I loved so much So we moved up to Washington and we were kind of in a frazzle trying to find a new doctor and things because I was 27 weeks. I was getting, you know, further along and needing more appointments at that point. And but we didn't know anything would go wrong yet. Uh, So we got up there and I had one appointment with a doctor up there that we found. Um, and it was kind it was one of those clinics where they just cycle you through all the doctors and have you see everybody throughout your pregnancy. And there were, they had like nine different doctors there at that clinic. So I saw one, just whatever one they placed me with. 
I had one appointment with that doctor. And then a couple weeks later, I went into labor at 31 weeks. Yeah, out of nowhere, totally unexpectedly, I went into labor at 31 weeks. So it started on, I want to say a Saturday is when I really started feeling some contractions that were kind of stopping me in my tracks a little bit. And I feel a little silly now looking back because I didn't really realize that that's what it was. I mean, I was only 31 weeks, so it's not like I was expecting to go into labor. And I had heard from so many people, oh yeah, you start to get contractions here and there toward the end of your pregnancy. And oh yeah, some cramping is normal. And you know, you hear all sorts of things. So when I started having these, what I thought were just cramps, I didn't think much of it. So that was Saturday. That continued Sunday. And then by Monday, it had gotten pretty dang intense. And they started to get closer together and more intense. And my husband and I started to think, okay, this is not right. I don't (laughs) think this is a normal thing to be happening at 31 weeks, you know? (laughs) So we started timing it and we realized just how close together they were and started to panic a little bit. We looked at each other and said, okay, we need to go to the hospital. So I stood up to go get my shoes on and I went to the bathroom before we left and sat on the toilet and just gushed blood everywhere. Just so much blood. And our hearts dropped. We were freaked out. We're like, what is going on? My husband picked me up, carried me out to his truck, threw me in and I don't think he's ever driven so fast (laughs) in his entire life. I'm pretty sure he was going 90 miles an hour through like 35 mile an hour speed zones. He was booking it to the hospital. We lived about 15 minutes away from the hospital. And at one point, actually, while we were on the freeway, a police officer ended up behind us while he was speeding so fast and followed us clear to the Why hospital. He, and when oh he saw us turn into the hospital, he kind of backed off and left us alone. I'm sure he realized what was going on. What was on. going on, yeah. <laughs> but that was kind of funny. Yeah, seriously. So he didn't pull us over. So that was Monday. We we got to the hospital and sure enough, I was in full-on labor. I was between a four and a five dilated when we got there. And they, they were able to stop the labor with medications, but they did say because of how dilated you are, you're not leaving this hospital until the baby's here. So, of course, I'm, I'm all geared up. I'm like, okay, like I'm going to lay in this hospital bed for another nine weeks until my due date. That's totally fine. I'm ready for anything. We're going to keep this baby in. We'll just watch shows. Like, this is totally fine. It's going to be fine. So I, that's, that was kind of my mindset. I'm like, well, we'll just keep this baby in. We got this. So that was Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday passed. And we were just hanging out at the hospital. My in-laws had flown in to come see us. We're really close with my in-laws. So they flew in to see us and spend time with us in the hospital. And, you know, it was all good. And then Thursday came along and they said, okay, One of these medications that you're on, I can't remember what it was, but they said that there was one of them that you can't be on 
for long periods of time without a break. They said you can only do it for about two days at a time and then your body needs a break from it. So they're like, we're going to take you off of this and you're just going to stay in this bed and we're going to hope for the best. I think you're going to be fine still. So we're going to take you off and just see what happens. So I'm like, okay, sounds good. So that was Thursday mid-morning-ish. My husband and my father-in-law left to go get some lunch. My husband had not left my side for two and a half days and he was like, I need to get out. Let's go get some lunch. Um, So they left. My mother-in-law and sister-in-law stayed there with me. She was only like, how old was my sister-in-law at the time? She's 16 now. My girl is four. So she was probably 12. Am I doing that math right? Yeah, 12. Anyway, so they were there with me. And after they took me off the medication, my contractions got really strong and really close again, really fast. So I called my husband and I said, hey, I don't know what's going on, but you might want to get back here. I'm not sure, you know, what's happening. And I I told my nurse a couple different times, hey, things are getting more intense. It's getting close together. Can you go get the doctor and have him check me? And she kept saying, oh, you're fine. You're not going to progress this fast after being on all those meds for a couple days. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Well, I knew it wasn't fine. And finally, I got pushy enough and I said, please go get the doctor. And so finally, she went and got the doctor. He came in and mind you, I didn't have any pain medication or anything at this point because we didn't right. know what was yeah. going on right so I'm just I'm laboring through all of this unmedicated uh he comes in and he checks me and he says oh my gosh you're at a nine I see your baby's oh. bum oh. so she was bummed down okay. she was bummed down so he said you're at a nine I see your baby's bum this baby's coming he looked at the nurse and he said prepare the OR now So, um, it felt like seconds. They, everybody ran in and I got whisked away to the OR. Luckily, my husband was back by then. They brought me in there and as they were wheeling me to the OR, I got hit with the biggest panic attack. Mm. And I don't... That was my first time ever experiencing something like that. I don't think that I have, I don't know, diagnosed anxiety. I've never had a panic attack before. I've never had one since. But something about just the way that it was all going down and the way it was happening so quickly and I was in pain from laboring and just everything all together was kind of the perfect storm and I had a panic attack and I could not breathe. I thought I was suffocating. I thought that the world was just crashing down on me. I just, yeah, it was bad. I I couldn't breathe. So they got me into the OR and um, they put me on the table to try to get the spinal block in for my C-section. And I could not get in the correct position for that spinal block because of course, like I said, I'm laboring through these nine centimeters out of nine (laughs) And trying to get in this very, very, very specific crouched position, all while literally feeling like I could not breathe, like nothing I was doing, I, I couldn't breathe, I couldn't get air. So I just couldn't get in the position. And the obviously, it was a pretty 
intense situation and everybody in the room was feeling it. The anesthesiologist was yelling at me, I need you to do this. I need you to do this. Come on. And trying to show me and I couldn't do it. All of a sudden, this nurse walks over to me and I still to this day, I think she is one of my angels. She was so sweet. I'm sure that she will never hear this. I don't know if she listens to this podcast, but Sheena, shout out to Sheena. If you ever hear this, you're my angel. But she, she came right up to me. She put her hands on my shoulders. She put her forehead to mine and she looked me in the eyes and she said, just breathe with me. We're just going to sit here and we're going to breathe and I'm going to help you through this. And we just stared into each other's eyes and she helped me get some deep breaths. She helped me calm down. She helped me stop shaking and they were able to get the spinal block in me. So that was a little, there were so many tender mercies and miracles Mm -hmm. along the way, but that was definitely one of them. And so uh, they got that spinal block in and literally what felt, I'm sure it was more than 10 seconds, but what felt like 10 seconds later, I heard my baby girl crying and she was here. She did well. She actually scored very well on the, is it called the APGAR? APGARD? I don't uh-huh. know. APGAR. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So she actually scored pretty well on that, especially for being nine weeks early. But obviously, they still had to whisk her away to the NICU. There was a whole team in the room just for her, a whole team in the room for me. So they pulled her out of me, and they brought her around to my head. And I didn't get to hold her, didn't get to touch her. All I got was to see her. I got one quick little glance. They said, here's your baby. And they took her away. And... They just that they was, say anything about anything or they just kind of No, I, uh-huh. I knew nothing. They took her, so they hard. whisked her off to the NICU. And that was absolutely excruciating to not know after all of that, not know. I mean, I heard her I'm crying. Assuming so I knew she's she early. Was, yes, yes, yeah. So I knew she was at least alive at that at that point, but I didn't mm. know like if she would be breathing, because you know, preemie's lungs aren't gray and you know I didn't know anything and I had told my husband before any of this happened I said no matter what happens with me I want you to go with the baby you go you go be in the NICU you go be with her make sure she's okay and I'll be fine so he listened to me he respected that and he went with her to the NICU and so I knew that that she would be watched over and taken care of by him at least but it was so hard not to be able to you know I wanted that skin to skin and And, you know, after trying so hard for so long to get her, she was finally here, but she wasn't here with me, you know, and that was really, really hard to swallow. So um, they finished with my C-section, took me to recovery. And if I remember correctly, it wasn't until that next day that I was, that they allowed me to go into the NICU and go see her. So that was really, really, really hard. I had talked to my husband since. I had talked to him that night, throughout the night and stuff. He was back and forth between my room and the NICU, checking in on both of us. So he was giving me updates, and I at least knew everything was okay. But it was so hard not to be able to actually go in and see her and be with her until that next day. So 
Uh, yeah, that was that was it with my C-section story. She ended up being in the NICU for five weeks, which was actually amazing because they told us to plan on her being there at least until her due date, if not longer. Um, so that would have been nine weeks or longer. And she was only there for five weeks. So that was such a miracle. She progressed really well and she did great in the NICU and she was able to go home about a month before her due date. So it was kind of special. Like I just got her for a little longer than I would have otherwise. So that was great. That was just a journey. That's a long time <laughs> hanging out in the hospital, doing all those things. Yeah. And then boom, it's crazy that they didn't know baby was breached before too. Like, well, I think they did. Yeah, I think they did because they had done an ultrasound when I had come in and stuff. So they did know that she was breached, but I think it just all happened so fast and everything just, it just was crazy. And yeah. So I think, I think they, if I remember correctly, and obviously it's all kind of a blur, especially now that it's been a while, but I, I feel like I remember them trying to flip her and stuff too. Oh, I, for those couple days while I was in there, they did the, uh, oh, maybe I missed called, where they, where they use their hands and anyway. Yeah. So, okay. But gotcha. it didn't work. She was still bummed down. Still head down or bummed down. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So anyway, so yeah, that was kind of, I guess the reasoning for the C-section. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I didn't, I didn't really know at that point. I was kind of just along for the ride. I wasn't as like educated on birth or different things so I didn't really like I don't know I didn't really do much to you know oh maybe we could try spinning babies or you know all the things that I know now from listening to your podcast thank you very much (laughs) but um yeah so I kind of just went with it I was like okay it's a c-section I guess there's nothing we can do you know yeah Mm -hmm. just kind of naive so so then When my daughter was 18 months old, we ended up moving back to Idaho. So happy. Uh, We love Idaho. (laughs) And your supportive provider that you love. Yes, exactly. So I was back to that doctor. And uh, right after she turned two, we decided to try again with IVF. So... That summer, the summer she turned two, we uh, did IVF again, and we got pregnant with that and ended up miscarrying that baby, which was super, super hard. Miscarriage is just its own, it's so hard, you know, Mm -hmm. it's such such a difficult thing to go through, and, you know, we're very religious, and so that obviously helped to know to have you know the testimonies that we do about mm-hmm. about families and you know but it's still hard it's hard regardless and especially too after going through IVF to get that baby and spending all of that money all of that energy all of the you know physical strain that that is and then to have that literally just go down the toilet very mm-hmm. literally mm-hmm. um that was really hard So after that happened, we planned on kind of waiting a little while and taking a break just for the financial strain as well as the emotion. I felt like I needed to heal emotionally, heal physically, give my body some time before going through the whole process of IVF again because it's a lot to go through. So we felt like we should, well, we wanted to wait a little bit 
And we felt very strongly one day that we needed to just go for it again and not wait and just dive right back into another round of IVF. So we figured out how to make it work financially. We pulled up our boots and just went for it again and uh, ended up transferring another embryo in very, very early November of 2020. Yeah, November 2020. It was election day, actually. I remember I was that. Say, it was right before <laughs> craziness started yeah. happening. Well, I guess yeah. at the end, it was already crazy. Yeah. And then it was like, it was getting really crazy. crazy. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It was November 3rd of 2020 that we transferred our sweet little baby boy. And um, that obviously resulted in a pregnancy and would result in our sweet baby boy that just turned one. So, With this pregnancy, we had decided to take some precautions due to my history of preterm birth. And we were back to my doctor in Idaho, which we were so happy about because we just love him. And he was supportive of a VBAC from the very beginning. My first, actually, I think before we even did IVF again and got pregnant, we had talked to him and I had asked him, hey, can I have a vaginal birth after this happened and blah, blah, blah. And he said, absolutely. He was confident in my ability to do it. He was confident in his ability to help. He said, if that's what you want, and if that's what you feel like you can do and you want to do, then let's do it. Like what's stopping us? You know, he's like, we'll watch things carefully. We'll make sure that you're safe and baby's safe. And obviously if things don't go as planned, then we can reevaluate and be open-minded. But he's like, let's, let's go for it. Why not? Mm, I love and that. I love him. I love him for that. He's, he's just the best. We love him so much. So yeah, he was supportive of it from the beginning. Um, do, you, do you feel like you could share his name? Uh, sure. Yeah. He's, uh, he's in Idaho Falls. Uh, his name is Dr. Levitt, Dr. Glenn Levitt at Levitt Women's Healthcare. He he has other providers at his clinic as well. And they all the ones I have seen are all really, really good. But I obviously okay. have a special place in my heart for him. Awesome. <laughs> I'll, he, I'll note him has, down. <laughs> yeah, he's really good. He has midwives there as well. And they were always very kind and very supportive as well. So yeah, he's great. He's in Idaho Falls. And he's a little bit of a drive for us. We had to drive about 40 minutes for each appointment with him, but it was, it was so worth it to us. So, so yes, we decided to do some precautions. And since we didn't really know what had caused the preterm labor with my daughter, we didn't know if it was incompetent cervix or if it was just random labor. We don't know what it was. So we decided to do a cerclage as well as progesterone shots just to kind of cover all of our bases. And that's what my doctor felt good about as well. Uh, So at 14 weeks, I went in for a cerclage and that went really smooth. No complaints there. Um, I don't feel like it was even any sort of recovery. He told me that it would probably be a couple days that I'd be just down and needing to rest, but I felt great. So I don't know. I know that's probably not everyone's experience, but the cerclage was very uneventful for me. Yeah, it was good. But then at 20 weeks, I started having very strong contractions that were 
consistent and did not feel right. So I ended up zooming down to his office that day. And we had originally planned to start the progesterone shots around 28 weeks. But because I was having contractions at 20, which obviously is not good at all, um, he had me start the progesterone shots at that point. So I started them at 20 weeks. And so that was just weekly, just once a week, which is not too bad, honestly. You have to do progesterone and stuff up until about 12 weeks with IVF. Mm. So I got a little break for a little while. Yeah. And I started again at 20 weeks. So that was great. <laughs> so, and yeah, the IVF ones are daily. So once a week was not bad at all. And it was just in my back, um, right on like the back of my love handle above my hip. So yeah, we started that. Everything else was pretty uneventful. I stayed on the shots and things went well. I hit 35 weeks and the cerclage came out and the shots stopped at that point. And we had no idea what was going to happen after that. Obviously, since I had gone into labor so early before, we didn't know if we should expect that, you know, if I would go into labor that day that the cerclage came out or if it would be another five weeks Mm -hmm. or another, you know, however long, we just didn't know. But I did know that I wanted an unmedicated VBAC with no interventions. That's what I wanted. I wanted to go into labor on my own, no interventions, unmedicated, and push that baby out of my vagina. (laughs) That's what I wanted. So um, we just kind of played the waiting game at that point. I had kind of gotten my heart set on maybe having baby at 37 or 36 weeks just because, you know, I had had the girl so early. Right. Um, but it didn't happen and it didn't happen. And so I went in for my appointment at 39 weeks on that day that I turned 39 weeks and had the ultrasound and my fluid was very very low like below the safe range that it should be and so that was obviously a concern so the doctor my doctor recommended hey we might maybe we should induce you I know that you don't want to do that I know you're trying to avoid interventions and do everything as naturally as possible Um, But he said, this could be, this could be dangerous where the fluid is so low. This was a Friday or no, this was a Thursday. So he said, we have some options. He said, we can induce you today if that's what you decide that you want to do. Or he said, we can wait through the weekend and um, have you come in first thing Monday morning and check again and see how things are going. And he's like, honestly, you could go into labor over the weekend or you could come in Monday and we'll see what happens and reevaluate then. So he he said, basically, just go home, pray about it, talk to your husband, make a decision and call me and let me know um, what you want to do. So I said, okay. And I left his office, obviously very, you know, flustered and upset and worried and stressed, trying to decide what was going to be the best decision to do because you know, like I said, I wanted to avoid an induction because I knew 
just from listening to you guys and just from the research I had done that the less interventions you do, the more likely you are to be able to accomplish that VBAC and avoid another cesarean. So I was kind of a wreck on that 40 minute drive home trying to decide and I was praying and, you know, like I mentioned earlier, we're very religious and we believe in personal revelation from God and that he'll help you make big decisions like that. And so I called my husband and we talked about it and I was crying and hung up with him and was praying some more. And I just felt very, very strongly that uh, we needed to go ahead and get induced that day. So even though that wasn't what I wanted, I knew that that was what we needed to do and that that was what was going to be the best decision for us and for me and for our baby. And so I got home and my husband and I confirmed it with each other that he had, he had gotten that answer as well through his prayers. And we called my doctor and said, okay, we will see you tonight. So we made the arrangements. We got our daughter all situated with my amazing mother-in-law that watched her for us while we were there at the hospital, made sure that everything was ready to go with our bags and um, headed to the hospital. Oh, yeah. So another thing was we had one hospital that we wanted to go to for the birth. It was kind of a smaller hospital, a little bit newer. It was more naturally minded, which is, you know, the kind of thing that I like and I prefer. So we wanted to go there, but it turned out that they were full. There were a lot of babies being born that day. So we weren't able to go to that hospital. So we went to the other one, the bigger hospital across the street. Luckily, they were really close and they were able to get us in and they got us all checked in. That was about seven o'clock p.m. that we got there got us checked in, got me changed. I was only dilated to a one when I got to the hospital. So I was just going to ask that what you were dilated to, because the cerclage had been out. So I was curious if you had started. Yeah. Yeah. So the cerclage had been out for, what is that? Four weeks at that point. Cause it came out at at 35 and I was, it was the day I turned 39. So yeah, it had been out for four weeks And so we, you know, like I said, we kind of expected to go early again, like I had before once that was out, but my body just had different plans. So yeah, I was only at a one when I got there. Um, So they started me on Pitocin around 8 p.m. And I walked laps around the labor and delivery floor for hours. My husband and I just walked around and around and around trying to get contractions going, but nothing was happening. I wasn't feeling any contractions. My monitor was showing that some were happening, but they were really light and I wasn't feeling them. And so it felt a little bit discouraging and frustrating that it seemed that no progress was being made. So from eight o'clock up until about midnight, there was nothing. We just walked and walked trying to get things going, tried different positions and nothing was working. So midnight, my doctor came in the room and he asked if I wanted him to go ahead and break my water manually to help things move along. And 
I told him, yes, let's go ahead and do that. Let's get things going. I don't want to be here for three days, you know. So um, he he went ahead and broke my water, used the little crochet hook looking thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, contractions started almost immediately after that. They were strong and they were progressive and they they just they were doing their thing and they were there. Awesome. Um, yeah. So yeah, they started going. That was at midnight that he broke the water and everything started moving along. And um I just kind of labored through the night just tried different positions and different natural coping mechanisms that I had read about and learned about beforehand. I had my husband do the hip counter pressure on me. I ended up laboring in a hot shower for a little while with the water running on my back, which felt amazing. Just lots of walking, changing positions, bouncing on the ball you know, all that fun jazz. And obviously Mm -hmm. it got more and more intense as the night went on. We'll talk about my doula at the end, but my doula didn't show, spoiler alert. Um, She did not show up, but luckily my nurse that I had, she was a little bit older and she was very naturally minded, which was such a blessing. And she knew a lot of tips and tricks for helping with labor and different positioning and she was all for it. And so that was a big blessing to be able to have her and to have her show me things and try different things with me to help with the pain management. And because I really, really wanted to go unmedicated and not get an epidural. And so it was a blessing that she was, she kind of had that naturally minded attitude and was able to help me with things. So midnight broke water, things started by 6am. I was fully dilated. I did have a little bit of a lip, but they said I was good to go to start pushing, which looking back, I think was a little premature. I wish that I would have waited until I had the urge myself and felt that need. Lesson learned for next time. But, you know, in the moment, sometimes it's just you're just going for it. You know, you're just kind of in your own world. And I I didn't even cross my mind. I knew, I knew beforehand that I should wait for that urge to push. I had read and done the research and listened to so many episodes from you guys. And I knew that I should wait. But in the moment, I guess I kind of just forgot. I was just trying to get done and get through it and be done with the pain and get my baby here. And it just kind of went over my head. So probably should have waited But I started pushing when they told me to, and I did have a little bit of a lip, and it ended up that I had to push for about two hours. The baby kept kind of getting, not getting stuck necessarily, but it kept hitting against my pelvic bone, and he was just having a hard time getting out. I was having a hard time pushing. I was just so exhausted from labor and everything, and so I pushed for two hours which was so hard, honestly, having that been my first time ever pushing a baby out. I was shocked at how hard the pushing part was. It was, it was amazing, but it was hard. I feel like it was harder than the pain of labor and getting to that point. Not more painful. It wasn't painful for me. It was just hard. Like it was just not something I was expecting. 
So I pushed for two hours, ended up needing a small episiotomy, which again, my doctor was so respectful and so like, so good about everything. He did ask beforehand, hey, is it okay if I give you just a little episiotomy just to help get this baby out? So he did that and baby pushed out at exactly 8 a.m. Oh my goodness. Um, and it was the most amazing moment of my life. I, I still get emotional just thinking about it. Just um, that feeling of pushing that baby out of me and being able to have that immediate skin to skin that I had wanted so badly and wasn't mm-hmm. able to have with my daughter and just waited and waited so long it felt like to be able to have a brand new fresh baby boy on my chest um Mm -hmm. sorry you're fine it was was the most amazing feeling he was so perfect and so beautiful just the most incredible thing I've ever felt I felt so whole and just so healed from that previous experience I couldn't stop I feel like I was crying and smiling and laughing all at the same time. And I just couldn't stop. And uh, my husband was there, obviously, by my side. And he was so happy, too. And I just kept saying over and over again, all I could think to say was, we did it. He's here. He's here. We did it. I can't believe we did it. He's here. (laughs) Just over and over. He's here. We did it. We did it. Um, It was just, it was just amazing. So, um, yeah, he was here. He was safe. He was healthy. I had my baby boy with me. I had, I had accomplished my VBAC and I was so proud. So we enjoyed I was I was so proud. I still am. Um, we enjoyed a few blissful moments of that before I noticed the energy in the room completely shift. My doctor is very, very confident. He's very experienced, and I've never really seen him worry too much. Um, I could tell by his face that he was a little bit worried and something was going on. Um, everyone started rushing around me. Nurses were like putting all of their weight on my stomach, trying to push it. And it turned out I was hemorrhaging really, really badly. I, I think at least the explanation that I remember getting was just that my body was super worn out from pushing for so long to try to get the baby out that it kind of mm-hmm. just exhausted itself and had a hard time delivering the placenta. Um, so the doctor ended up elbow deep inside of me trying to pull things out. That didn't help. I was still bleeding. So I ended up with an emergency DNC while laying on the bed, completely unmedicated. Mind yeah, you. I was going to say, whoa, <laughs> I'm sure that was so intense. had the little... Yeah, had a little metal scraper and everything, um, just, you know, casually performing a DNC on me. And he ended up having to do that twice. So I had a double emergency DNC laying there unmedicated. Um, It was absolutely excruciating. Literally, the only thing keeping me calm through all of this was that sweet baby boy on my chest. I just held on to him and just tried to stay as calm as I could while I was going through all of this um, pain and these DNCs and everything going on. My husband was obviously very, very freaked out and nervous and 
didn't know what to think and, you know, was obviously very worried about what was going to happen to me. But that baby kept me calm and I was able to get through that. And they finally, after the second DNC, were able to get the bleeding stopped, get the placenta fully delivered. But through all that, I lost about twice the amount of blood as you would in a normal vaginal delivery is what they said. I believe, if I remember right, it was about one liter of blood that I lost. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, kind of scary. I was exhausted for quite a while after that. And I didn't really realize I was kind of out of it a little bit. And, you know, I was kind of naive thinking, oh, yeah, I just pushed a baby out. That's why I feel like crap, you know. But I think that a lot of it was also the fact that I had lost so much blood and didn't really realize in the moment how big of a deal it really had been until, you know, after the fact and after my husband was telling me everything that had happened days later and going through everything with me and telling me how scary it really was. So I ended up, I did end up having to get some bags of blood and have a transfusion and I had to stay in the hospital an extra day just to make sure that things were good. Um, Yeah, yeah, but we came home two days later. So baby boy, so my induction was Thursday night. Baby boy was born Friday morning and we brought him home Sunday afternoon. Hmm. and yeah, that's my story. My recovery from my VBAC was absolutely incredible. Obviously, I was sore down there for a while, which is to be expected. And I did have some stitches from the episiotomy that had to heal. But overall, I felt like the recovery went really smoothly and I felt really great. And I was just kind of on cloud nine through it all and didn't really think much of the soreness and pain that was going on because you know, at least it wasn't a C-section I was recovering from again. Right. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, that's that's kind of it. Oh, that's beautiful. I'm so happy for you. You got like, I, I get like tingles in my nose when I get emotional. Have you ever felt that? <laughs> yes. I, know, I, I got all like tingly in my nose and I was like, oh, don't do it. Don't do it. And then I like filled up. Oh, Aww. you can just tell it. You should be so proud of yourself. I'm so happy for yourself. And I'm sorry that you did have postpartum hemorrhage and that ha- it does happen. You know, it does happen. And sometimes after long deliveries and, or, you know, long births and, I mean, you were contracting even really early on, you know, so your, your uterus could have just been, like you said, tired. And so I'm just so happy for you. And one of the things that I, well, I want to talk about two things before I let you go. I know you're on your road trip and your family probably needs you back. But one of the things that we have a lot of people be told is that they cannot have a VBAC. They do not qualify because their C-section baby was preterm. Really? Yes. Yes. And we actually have, we have some other stories on the podcast even that said no, because you had a preterm C-section. Why Um, would that even correlate? I don't know uh, why that would mean anything in a the uterus wasn't like as stretched out, you know, as it would have been full term. Um, I mean, there's, there's other reasons and, and it's so, so it's so, it's so hard and you don't like, when you hear that, you're like, well, I don't want to like do something that's bad, 
but I do have a study to share and it's uh, out of 131 women that had previous pregnancies, 93 of them went on to have a TOLAC or a trial of labor, right? And 80 of them actually did achieve a VBAC. And so, I mean, that that's still a pretty great that's amazing. percentage, like 86% of people who went for the trial of labor to have a VBAC ended up with a VBAC. But there's yeah. so many times where people are told that they cannot or it is absolutely unreasonable to even consider it when it is technically possible. And so, you know, I would say definitely, you know, follow up with your provider, of course, know your options, learn more about everyone has a re- unique situation, but your provider didn't even question it. It was like, yeah, like, no we're good. Like, why would we not? And so we actually, we do have a blog. It's a shorter blog, but V back after preterm C-section. So if you're in that category, go check it out. And then last but not least, I, I know you mentioned you were, your doula unfortunately didn't show up, which breaks my heart. Doulas are incredible and we love doulas. And obviously we have a whole bunch of V back doulas, um, right here in our own, you know, directory on the vbacklink.com slash find a doula. And they're amazing. And we advocate for them. However, I wanted to just kind of point out that as seen here, it is still possible to vback without a doula. Yes, we encourage them. We think they're amazing and they bring a lot of powerful education, but is it still possible? And so what, what happened? I'm so sorry that that, that that did happen. Oh, yeah. I I mean, I hate to end it on a negative note. I, after all of that high and beautiful. Well, we don't even have to. We don't even have (laughs) to. I guess just the gist of it. I, so pretty early on in my pregnancy, I did decide to hire a doula. I really, I really felt that it would be a beneficial thing. I had, like I've mentioned multiple times while I've been talking, I had listen to your podcast so much and just heard so many wonderful, positive, beautiful stories about doulas and just how amazing they are. And of course, you and Julie and, you know, just, I felt like, oh, doulas are so amazing. I want one so bad. And I felt like I did some really good research and found a good one in my area. I did interview her before hiring her. We met up and went to lunch. and It really seemed like we vibed and it felt like she was the right match and a good choice for me. So I ended up hiring her. And um, the closer we got to my delivery, we, you know, we stayed in contact and had our plans. And she checked in with me occasionally and checked how things were going. Then the day that we ended up having the induction, she was involved a little bit in that decision I had called her she was one of the phone calls I had made when I was trying to decide and praying and talking to my husband about it and so she knew that 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 was going to be a very likely possibility that I would be induced that day and she had planned on leaving on a vacation like two or three days later after that um, was her plan and she she had been transparent with me about that and told me that and you know that was fine but then after I 
told her my decision that I had decided that I needed to go in and get induced that day, she went ahead and let me know that she had decided to leave three days early for her vacation and that she was leaving that day and that she would not be there at my birth. Oh, no. Did and she not have a backup or anything? So she said, I have a backup. I'm going to send my backup, which, okay, like, that makes sense. But also, it was kind of thrown on me. I had never met this backup because I wasn't really expecting her to just up and leave on the day of my induction. So I hadn't ever met this doula. I was a little, I don't know, just not as comfortable with her and just didn't know her, didn't know what to expect. So I did end up calling her the backup doula while I was on my way to the hospital. And she said, okay, you go get checked in, get everything going. I'm going to take just a small little nap and then I will come when I wake up. And I said, okay, sounds good. I let her know what hospital I was in and I figured she would take maybe a one or two hour nap. I don't know. She said she was going to take a little nap and come to the hospital and she never came. So I labored all through the night and kept expecting her to show up and be there and she just never came and Mm -hmm. it ended up that I still had to pay my original doula in full for services that Mm -hmm. I did not receive and I don't know I just felt very Mm -hmm. betrayed and very sad and upset about that whole situation I I don't know what happened and I don't know just not a great experience and I'm sad because I feel like I like I said I hear so many positive beautiful experiences about Um, having such wonderful doulas and it just wasn't mine but that's okay I just like I said I'm so grateful that I was still able to have my VBAC despite that happening and that I had a very supportive nurse who was very knowledgeable in probably all of or a lot of the same things that a doula would be and she kind of stepped in and acted as that for me and Mm -hmm. you know things things were good still it still worked out so I'm just grateful for that Good. I'm so but glad. Anyway. Yeah. Sorry that happened. Kind of crazy. For sure. Yeah. Oh, well, if you are listening and you are looking for a VBAC doula, like I said before, we do have VBAC doulas. They're amazing. I love them so much. Um, you can find them at the vbaclink.com slash find a doula. And um, I'm so sorry that you had that experience, but I'm so happy and proud of you for having the beautiful birth that you desired. And, you know, despite all the crazy things along the way, all the shots and the cerclage and the contractions early on, everything, you powerhouse through it. And I just wanted to say congrats. Oh, thank you so much, Megan. You are so sweet. This has been fun. I've been so excited. You have no idea how honored I feel that you (laughs) asked me to share my story. I'm so happy. And I hope that you know, at least one small aspect of it may help some other mom on their journey. And that's all I can ask for. I just, I just hope that it lifts someone up and helps someone else along the way. It absolutely will. All of these stories are just amazing. And I really appreciate all of you who submit your stories to share content. And we're actually now sharing content both on the podcast and our social media because people want more stories, more, more stories. And hopefully, you know, we'll be able to bring some more podcasts in a week, but right now we're one a week. 
So if you're out there listening and you really want to share your story out with the world, please email us your story and or email us what to do and uh, we will get that in. Or you could just go online and submit your story both via social media and podcast and we will get those shared because really there's so many people out there just like you were, I'm sure, wanting to hear these incredible stories. And now here you are, one of them, sharing with all the listeners all over the world. And I know you're going to inspire. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to share. Interested in sharing your VBAC story on the podcast? Submit your story at the vbacklink.com slash share. For information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to thevbaclink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.